0: Welcome to Mana for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. All right, good morning everyone. Welcome to Mana for Breakfast. Let's look at this day in history. We are This Monday morning on the 24th here today, William Howard Taft, 27th president, said, Don't write so that you can be understood. Write so you can't be misunderstood. Pretty insightful. Hubble Space Telescope was launched April 24th, 1990. Most of us remember that. $1.5 billion Earth-orbiting telescope. And there you go, although it had a flawed lens, and so it uh, didn't work at first, but then they, they uh, gave it some glasses and retrofitted it so it would. And the Iran hostage crisis rescue disaster on this day, April 24, 1980, attempt to rescue the hostages ends in disaster when the helicopter crashes into a transport plane, killing eight Americans and wounding five others. The secret rescue mission, codenamed Eagle Claw, had already been aborted due to um, equipment failures and severe dust storms. The helicopters were reportedly themselves repositioning themselves for refueling when the crash occurred. The embassy had taken over, been taken over by the Iran students, and believed the U.S. was attempting to undermine the Iranian revolution. They also opposed the U.S. support of the Shah of Iran, who, after being overthrown, went to the U.S. for cancer treatment. They wanted him to returned to stand trial for crimes against the Iranian people. First person to die during a space mission and Soviet cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov dies in the spacecraft uh, when it became entangled in its parachute. A very sad day for that. And the famous monkey trial, the Scopes trial, was on this day in 1925 teaches Darwin Sir's evolution in Dayton, Tennessee high school class the violation of Tennessee law. It would lead to the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. The previous month, Tennessee had made it a misdemeanor to teach any theory that denies the story of divine creation of man as taught in the Bible, and to teach instead that man was descended from a lower order of animals. High school teacher John Scopes defied the law by teaching evolution in his classroom. Famous lawyer, three-time US president, Presidential candidate Williams Jennings Bryan volunteered for the prosecution. The attorney, Clarence Darrow, joined the ACLU for the defense. Darrow called as his sole witness for the defense the prosecuting attorney Bryan in an attempt to discredit his literal interpretation of the Bible. Um, Bryan was ridiculed and forced to make contradictory statements. In an unusual twist, the defense attorney in the closing remarks, asked the jury to convict his client. This accomplished two things. It allowed the case to be taken to the Tennessee Supreme Court, and it prevented the prosecutor from delivering his closing speech that he had spent weeks preparing. Scopes was found guilty and ordered to pay a fine of $100. Even though the prosecutor won, he was publicly humiliated And many believe the public ridicule contributed to his death six days later. The conviction was eventually overturned by the the Tennessee Supreme Court. So the beginning of the end, in one sense, of the embracing of Darwin's theory of evolution, which now uh, genetic physicists, unsaved genetic physicists, say untenable, doesn't work, can't work. The cell is too complex. We had no idea how complex the cell was. You cannot accidentally stumble. This has to be intelligent design. Henceforth now, the whole belief of we're seated here by ancient aliens. That's the only place they can go because they will not accept a creator god. Kodak. Okay, April 24th, 1988, Eastman Kodak Company is founded. The Kodak camera was soon introduced with the slogan, you press the button, we do the rest. And how many of us had, our dads had Kodak cameras? I remember ours well. When the Trojan War in 1184, the Greeks entered Troy hidden inside a giant wooden horse. Although I'd like to get the full story of that. I don't remember. I think there was a lot of things that weren't true, what you see in the movies. And I think that might be it. Hmm. There's a lot of other stuff actually, but there's too much to go into. So we will go to the dad jokes. Okay, so I'm going to try I'm going to try the Laugh track just because I've, I've been wanting to and if it's, if it's too loud, let me know but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it anyway A cheese factory exploded in France Debris was everywhere Okay, now I thought I would be able to hear that Let me see Okay, now it's weird I can't hear it I heard it yesterday but I, I can't hear it now So hopefully If that was really loud let me know I won't do it again I thought I'd try it anyway. Why did the old man fall into the well? Because he couldn't see that well. <laughs> Classic. I did two thumbs up on that one. Father God, thank you for this morning and giving us our time together. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. and We, we just think we can spend this time together in the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. 1 Samuel 4 now. The Philistines take the ark. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who sits above the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of of the covenant of God. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. Verse six. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp, and they said, Woe to us for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And he came, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching, because his heart was trembling. The Ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, "What does the noise of this commotion mean?" Then the men came hurriedly and told Eli. Now, Eli was ninety-eight years old. His eyes were set so they could not see. The man said, "Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today." And he said, "How did things go, my son?" Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people and your two sons also Hophni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off his seat backwards beside the gate and his neck was broken and he died. for He was old and heavy and he judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife was pregnant and about to give birth and when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died she kneeled down and gave birth and her pains came upon her and about that time of her death the woman who stood by her said do not be afraid for you have given birth to a son but she did not answer or pay attention and she called the boy ichabod and she said the glory has departed from israel and the ark of god was taken chapter 5. now the philistines took the ark of god and brought it from ebenezer to ashdod then the philistines took the ark of god and brought it to the house of dagon and set it by dagon when the ashdodites arose early in the morning behold dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the lord so they took dagon And they set him in his place again. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor nor those who enter Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Now the hand of the Lord was heavy, on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and its tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The Ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is severe on us and on Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said to them, What should we do with this Ark of God of Israel? And they said, Let the Ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. And they brought the ark of God of Israel around. And after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the city with very great confusion. And he smote the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines said send away the ark of God and let it return to its own place so that it will not kill us and our people for there was a deadly confusion throughout the city and the hand of God was very heavy there and the men who did not die were smitten with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven chapter 6 Now, the Ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. And they said, verse 3, they said, If you send away the Ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What shall be the guilt offering in which we shall return to him? And they said, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on all of you and on the lords. So you shall make likenesses of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that ravaged the land, and you shall give glory to God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from you, your gods, and your land." Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when they had severely dealt with them? Did they not allow the people to go and they departed? Now therefore take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there have never been a yoke and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Take the Ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put the articles of the gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side. Then send it away that it may go. Watch. If it goes by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us a great evil. But if not, then we know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so and took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the likenesses of their tumors, and the cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh, and they went along the highway, lowing as they went, and they did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they raised their eyes and saw the ark and were glad to see it cart came into the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite, and stood there while there was a large stone. And they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on a large stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Ekron that day these are the golden tumors which the philistines returned for a guilt offering to the lord one for ashdod one for gaza one for akron one for gath one for ekron and the golden mice according to the number of all the cities of the philistines belonging to the five lords both of the fortified cities and of the country villages this the large stone on which they set the ark of the lord is a witness to this day in the field of joshua the beth shemite now verse 19 he struck down some of the men of beshemeth because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, he struck down all of the people, 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Huh yeah we'll stop there so what's go, what's going on here Samuel is now the one that is the prophet over Israel he's now old enough he's been anointed by God he's found God he's remember he had an encounter with God now he yes he's heard his voice he now can he knows how to listen to God to get his his direction and he's God is speaking to to Samuel to Israel and we s- surmise that he tells them not to go up against um, the Philistines he certainly would have told them if he had opportunity not to take the ark but they we don't know if he told them that too or not but what's interesting is he's conspicuously absent through all of this we don't hear them counseling with him he doesn't have anything to say against this. this is all Eli and his sons and they go hey we got a great idea we're losing this battle let's go get the ark now keep this in mind the the Battle of Jericho was almost 400 years earlier I mean, they've been in the Promised Land a long time by this point. And they're thinking way back in the beginning, hey man, I remember our forefathers took this ark and, and they, they won their first battle in Israel. Let's just go get the ark and we're going to do it. And notice they, it says they went for it. The big clue here. They went for it, the ark. They were, they were thinking it was the box that they needed, not the God of the box. So they go and get it and they get Hophni and Phinehas who know better. Because they, they, ha- they were not chosen by God, really. They were not were walking in the Spirit of God or following after God. They were unsaved and, and uh, unrepentant and completely judged, already judged by God. So it's going to be a worse scenario. So they bring the box into the camp. They go, hey, we got the box. box is going to go before us. We'll win the battle. And God needed to teach them that they, they were all unrepentant. They were suffering because they were not following after him. And now they want an, and we would call it today an amulet. They want a good luck charm to go in with them as they go fight the battle. And so the guy says, mm-mm. And there's a huge slaughter, 30,000 plus the previous, 4,000, huge slaughter. And the, and the Philistines were like, and they capture the ark, and they're like, hey, we're awesome. We got the ark. We got their God, in a sense. And it's interesting. They had more faith in the God of Israel and his abilities than, than the Israelites did. They weren't really thinking about Yahweh as much as they were thinking about the box. But once they get the Ark, the Philistines immediately go, wait a minute. We're dealing with the God of Israel who saved Israel out of Egypt and all of those plagues. They're remembering 400 years earlier. Can you imagine having that kind of memory today? Being worried about something that happened 400 years ago and thinking this is the power of their God. It shows you how amazing the Exodus was that all of Canaan, the known world at that time, knew what happened. And yet, they had had victory over Israel because Israel had wandered so forward from God. So again, so they take the, this ark and they see all of these horrible tumors. And of course, we, they, we think the, the, the popular belief that seems to be is one of the things they were struck with was hemorrhoids. Horrible, horrible hemorrhoids and these rats and these horrible things that caused so many people to die. And, and in the midst of all this, they're realizing that our gods cannot do anything against this God. We cannot use our our th- these Dagon was their great God that they were they were worshiped at that time. They take Yahweh into their temple just to just to mock Yahweh God and say, haha, we gotta we'll put our God in our temple to to be a servant, probably, or let the people see how Dagon is so much greater than than their God. And, of course, they would have put the Ark in a lower position over their Dagon God, who would have been elevated as, as normal in temples. You always elevate your God. And so what happens the next morning, boom, their guts on their on their on on his face. And, uh, you know, I think God has a sense of humor in that. It's like, okay, you guys think your God is something? It's an idol. It's nothing. And he slams them down. And the next day they, they don't get the point, so he does it again and cuts off his hands. Cutting off the hands and stuff is, means he has no power to do anything cutting off the head you know the head of the serpent he has he has no he has no authority he has no power no position before almighty god now at that point you would think maybe they would want to just give up and worship yahweh and say we got the wrong god here this god can defeat any god and look what he's killing us and we better bow why they didn't we don't know I got a couple of guesses. Number one, they had this goofy belief that the gods were local. And they thought, if I don't know, if we have to follow Yahweh, we have to go into Israel territory, would be one. Or they, I guess there's a few reasons. Because they thought, well, God's just mad at us. He's our enemy. We can't follow him because he's already decided to kill us. We just got to get far away from him. There was a fear not realizing that Yahweh God was all-inclusive, I guess to use the word, he was willing to forgive anyone and take anyone. And and the other the other fact is they were just so immoral. They were so completely corrupt in their moral character that they would not for a minute uh, abide the idea of thinking that they needed to love their neighbor as their self and selfishly love God with all their heart, soul, and mind and, and forego adultery and forego all of the homosexuality and immorality that was going on. So probably another reason. But whatever it was, they, they said... Even in, in, in this obvious, obvious uh, demonstration of real power, they, they say, "We just want to get away from it," which is scary because it's pretty much what people still do today. People have an understanding of the real power of God. And, uh, and rather than yield to it, they, they run from it. Amazing. A lot more we could go into there, but uh, I mean, Hophni and Phineas die in the end of uh, that, that fulfills the prophecy that Eli got uh, when he, he was given the word. Um, Samuel gets the word from God, tells Eli, and, uh, and then, of course, Eli gets the, the word from the Lord. His sons are going to die both in the same day, and this word happened. So we'll move on. Luke chapter 18 now, first 23 verses. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For while he was unwilling, but after, afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said to her, see what the righteous judge said. Verse 7, now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw them, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Verse 18, The ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all your possessions and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasures in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich isn't that the truth well we'll stop there for today too many parables to really go into at all I just wanted where my heart lies and the focus is of do not hinder the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven the the whole issue of um coming before God with the heart of a child and allowing children to come before him so important, there's um, statistics that show that around 90%, I haven't seen this statistics in a while, but it seems it's close to, if not 90% of all people that get saved, really saved, yield their life over to the Lord and live it, get saved before they're 15 or, or something like that, even, even younger, it's the vast majority of people. They're gonna grow up, and I mean, gonna live their life for the Lord. Get saved very early, because once you hit your late teens, you set your worldview. You you take a course to your life, and you get into your twenties and thirties, and you reinforce it, and you become hardened to many other worldviews. Uh, thank thank God, not impossible. Uh, anyone who gets saved over forty and fifty, you count yourself blessed of the Lord because you're in a very small minority. It is the Lord working miracles in your life. And we can all praise him for that because there's a lot of people that are. Maybe the, st- uh, the statistics are changing now that we're getting closer to the end. Maybe God is opening the door and opening the hearts of people. A lot more people in their older age now. And I'm praying that because it seems I seem to be seeing it. But the issue is we've got to keep our our churches and our minds and our uh, on our set on reaching the young for Him. That's why uh, youth pastors are my heroes. Uh, I don't I don't particularly have that gift, um, and and teachers, my wife Madi and and as and all this they they have wonderful kids uh, teachers here and youth pastors. That is the jewel, the gem of the church, in my opinion. My daughter up in Tennessee is work you know, running. Uh, youth ministry there. My other daughter in in, in uh, Italy is helping a ton with their kids ministry, and uh, I think that's. I think this is fulfilling what really Jesus said: "Don't hinder him to come unto me, and allow them." And uh, we as parents need and grandparents of our kids. I think one of the greatest ministries that God gives us is to to model Jesus Christ to our kids and grandkids and show them His love. And there's been so many cool stories of people that have kids that are you know prodigals far away from the lord broken relationships but they'll allow their grandkids to come over and they just love on those grandkids and show them the lord in and, and you see transformation it's so amazing charles spurgeon now he that hath an ear let him hear with the spirit saith unto the churches he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death revelation two eleven. the first death we must endure unless the lord should suddenly come to his temple For this let us abide in readiness, awaiting it without fear, since Jesus has transformed death from a dreary cavern into a passage leading to glory. The thing to be feared is not the first, but the second death. Not the parting of the soul from the body, but the final separation of the entire man from God. This is death indeed. This death kills all peace, joy, happiness, hope. When God is gone, all is gone. Such a death is far worse than ceasing to be. It is existence without the life which makes existence worth having. Now, if by God's grace we fight on to the end and conquer in the glorious war, no second death can lay its chill finger upon us. We shall have no fear of death and hell. We shall receive a crown of life which fadeth not away. How this nerves us for the fight. Eternal life is worth a life's battle. To escape the hurt of the second death, death is the thing worth struggling for throughout our lifetime. Lord, give us faith so that we may overcome, and then grant us grace to remain unharmed through sin and Satan. Dog our heels. <laughs> I like the way you put that. That that last part. You know, I I've, I've always had a not always, but it was always a, a, for quite a while a, a struggle to get in my mind the first and second death. And to teach it, too, can be interesting when you first bring it up. We, because we think, well, death is death from the separation of your body. So if you die once, how can you die again? You're already separated from your body. But Charles Spurgeon gives us really the context. as that our, our life is in God. We are his creation. And so our real life is the union with our creator, our God, our Father. And as, of course, as the church, the bride of Christ. So life is found. What life is, abundant life, the Zoe life, what it is, is a union, a fellowship, a harmony, a f- whatever relationship with God that itself is life. So the first death is the mortal frame, our, our space suit is. <laughs> One pastor loved to always say, This is our earthly, this is our spacesuit on, on, on earth or whatever. We live in the mortal body because that's what we need for this planet. But when that is separated, we leave that, the second death is everything. I mean, the second life is everything, the life away from the body. And because real life is union with him. So the second death is that separation of, from him himself. And in that, there is there is nothing, there's just nothing. There's no joy, there's no happiness, there's no peace, there's no knowledge of anything that's good. It's complete isolation. and I mean, the the dreariest and kind of most horrific scene of hell that I read in the Bible is the outer darkness. That one's just always freaked me out. The outer darkness where there's nothing and yet you're conscious. I don't even like to go there in my thinking. But anyway... That's it. And so what he says is we don't need to fear the first death. It's the second death. And we just need to persevere and keep trusting and watch what God does to us in this glorious time as he brings us into fellowship with himself. It's wonderful. Well, let's go ahead and pray and thank him for this marvelous day. Father, we thank you for this, this time we get to come before you each day and worship and praise you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives this week. Thank you for blessing us and the fellowship in our services where we were or online and the time we get to spend in your word. God, it's amazing right now, especially in the book of Revelation, seeing how these things that you have been speaking on and about and prophesying for thousands of years are now coming to pass. Almost, or I should say, two amazing to even fully comprehend, too astounding for our, to wrap our minds around. But yet we live it by faith. We understand that it's going to happen. So continue to guide us, continue to give us the strength to carry on. But to do it, God, enjoy, to do it according to your word and to be obedient to things you're leading us to do. And we thank you for those that you've given us contact to, with talking to, Renee, this other day, this this young guy that came by the house and how she shared with him the Lord and he accepted the Lord and uh, and had a joyful time with him and, and all of the kids that, that she's been ministering to and now the people the evangelism team has been uh, witnessing to and some of their uh, amazing stories. So thank you for them and you just bless those people that got saved on the evangelism team. And Tuesday night, God, we just ask for the outreach that you do an amazing work there down the Malacone through the kids, the drama, and also this pastor coming down to do this demonstration, uh, karate demonstration, using the gospel. So we look forward to all you're going to do there and pray that all of the uh, sound equipment works, God, to help work out those details that we need worked out. So thank you for this week. And a special prayer again for Dean and Kim and their family needing a lot of your grace and your healing during this time in their life. So thank you, God. We worship you, we praise you, and we thank you for this marvelous day. In Jesus' name, amen. There we go. So, again, we um, covet your prayers for tomorrow, and um, we will let you know how it goes. And if I if I got battery and connection and everything, I'll probably, probably try to live stream it. So you might look for us. It will be around 6 our time, probably not really get going. Like many things until around six thirty, I don't know. We'll see. So God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. <laughs>